0: Hello and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back to normal programming. We're back to the quartet. How bloody good is it? There has been so much A-League women's going on. There is so much that I can barely keep up. We will attempt to take you through the last week, which involved seven games, and pick out the best bits and pieces to have a chat about. So can't wait to get stuck into it. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So for the first time in a lot in what feels like a long time, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian-Milk, Sam Lewis, and Anna Harrington back and better than ever. We're going to start with our usual, you love to see it. it's because we do love to see things. So Angela, what did you love to see this weekend?
1: I love to see Kara Cooney-Cross score her first goal of the season. Um, it was a glorious day at Amy Park. Oh, isn't she lovely when when the sky the sky turns it on? I don't know. The weather turns it on. Anyway, it was a beautiful day for it. Um, this was in victory's 5-0 thrashing of the Wanderers. And, yeah, it was just such a fun, cheeky goal, and I think really spoke to how much she's enjoying her football right now. She's made this butt gusting run butt gusting gut busting had too much coffee today guys gut busting run um came out to meet her she just you know did this little dance around her popped it in the back of the net fell on her face grinning all over It was was beautiful yeah so anyway you'll love to see it karakuni cross doing goal stuff i will get better as the episode progresses this is a promise to you all Potentially. Anyway. Like,
2: <laughs> I, I can't get past butt gusting. I'm sorry. But gusting? <laughs>
0: that's, that's you making a fun, drink on Intentional. Oh, yeah. But gust. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's. I'm going to cry a little bit more. That was very. Arrow, what did you like I'm to so say? I'm so sorry. <laughs> but enough
2: about Angela's media box exploits. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm a professional thank you do not do that in there
0: arrow please share it how good <laughs> it'd be hard to beat that um but
2: <laughs> to be honest uh, i i didn't go with the goal for uh, well these ended in goals but i picked out a couple of really good assists for my you love to see it um one was Dylan Holmes putting in what I think Tao called a Hollywood ball for Fiona Wirtz to score um, back post-tapping. It was far post-tapping, you could say. But it, it was just wonderful. Like, she's beaten Katrina Gorey to the ball. Um, and and then just, just the way she's put the ball through. I don't know how you do that. I guess that's something that really good professional footballers can do, but so impressive. And the other was um Kyra Cooney Cross in that same uh game this wasn't such a a a butt gusting run this was more just a a little moment of brilliance where she's um taken the ball lowered the eyes and slipped it through multiple defenders um for Mindy Barbieri to to take a nice touch and score a really lovely goal for victory um and another one that I actually noted was in that same game, Courtney Nevin scored her first A League women goal on her birthday, which is quite cute. So, all of these moments great assists, nice little milestones, but gusting runs. You love to see it.
1: Get it together, Marissa. Oh She's crying. <laughs> okay, we're going to need to put some elevator music in here I'm so while sorry. we. <laughs>
0: oh god okay I'm fine
3: Sam what did you love to
0: see this weekend
3: (laughs) I mean I love to see this zoom chat I've loved that the first thing that we do when we all come back together for an episode is is fart jokes this is what I've missed you know (laughs) I guess it
2: wasn't
0: even a fart joke it was unintentional (laughs) just the energy from Angela turned
3: it into one (laughs) what I love to see is carrying on The theme of this episode with amazing goals scored I loved to see Wellington Phoenix win their first ever A-League women's game a 3-0 defeat of Canberra the two goals that were scored were a little bit nixy they're a little bit scrappy but the reaction from the team and particularly from head coach Gemma Lewis after the final whistle was just fabulous like this is these are the moments that you remember in leagues and, and games like this you know so Wellington Phoenix their first ever win in the competition and it is absolutely not going to be their last because they're a fantastic team. You'd love to see it.
0: I think everyone loved to see that. Barring Canberra, everyone loved to see it and everyone wanted to see that. My, you love to see it, which is just a subsection of that game, Grace Jarley's goal, where she basically latched onto the ball, had I think about three camera defenders company and was just like, nah, I'm faster than you, see and just turned on the Jets went at Chloe Lincoln. Unfortunately, there was nothing she could do about it. But Grace Jarlay just saying, nah, see us. I'm I'm better than you. Catch you later. We just made my day. Absolutely love to see it. But let's stick with this Knicks win as our entry point for this conversation about this last round of dub because it really was just the best story, the nicest feeling. You could see how much it meant to the players and Gemma Lewis, like you said, Sam. It was just a really good comprehensive win and I think it was really important that it wasn't some like jammy one nil kind of thing they put the goals on they put the performance in so Angela I'm curious on your thoughts on this game to start us off
1: yeah it was a really I think comprehensive performance from the Knicks because Canberra did test them um in patches early on so there was like Michelle Heyman had a run on goal um Ash Sykes had was doing stuff and um I thought it was quite funny the half I don't know if anyone saw the halftime chat when she was asked about the referee and she was just like, yeah. So that's it at all, really. But um yeah, the Knicks were, if you from that context, they were very physical and they really I but I also really appreciated how composed their defense looked. It was a shame that Kate Taylor went down with an injury and um had to be replaced. Um, quite early on but I think that's also a testament to the fact that they were able to still put in such a great defensive performance Um, and yeah I've just really like watching that game it really made me reflect on oh they just look so much better they look so much more confident so much more composed but they were still able to really um, put everything on the line when they needed to there was like a really fantastic Kramer slide tackle as well in that first half so yeah that all really set them up for that that second half where I think that they just came out and were able to keep that focus and play their passing game and still had plenty of legs as well, it seemed, which was one of the things, I guess, early on in the season, they were um, flagging in fitness levels a little bit when it came to second halves and that sort of thing. So um, I think that's a testament to the sort of work that they've put in and how Gemma Lewis has managed the side. Um, And, yeah, it's been a long time coming. It was fantastic to see and all just, like, really for the third goal that was chaotic but still I think when you look at yeah it needed someone to follow it up and they did that and it was great um but yeah really fun goals I really loved Chloe Knott's goal as well I thought that was lots of lots of fun um but yeah Wellington I think it was just they've managed to hone in on that psychological side of things so they didn't spill the lead maybe a one nil lead is less scary than a two nil lead what's that thing about two nil leads been most I played it over the halftime yeah so yeah good times and yeah I do you want me to read out my mum's takes I thought they were quite good she's always I really like hearing what my mum has to say about football because she just says it how she sees it she's not like pretending to do deep analysis but her takes were that Canberra aren't fit And she was saying that at the start of the season and she was saying it again and she said even in the warm-up because she was at Viking Park, um, Canberra didn't look um, as on the ball fitness-wise as Wellington. She was very impressed by Wellington. And, yes, her comments on Wellington were, they're really good players. It's a shame they're Kiwis, but but they do wear yellow, which is my favourite colour, better than slime green. So there you go. She was really impressed. She had lots of nice things to say about the Knicks. So they might have a new fan there. I think she's off camera. (laughs) Anyway, it's a bit of a ramble. Too long, didn't read. I really like their defending as well as their attacking. It was a great. Great game. Love
3: them. We get a segment inserted in future episodes where it's just Angela's, Angela's mum's. Yeah, Angela's parents' <laughs> takes on the football. I, I want to know how they think about things forever, not just in football, but in, in general, I think. Ah, yeah, you
1: she's good for the sound bites, that one. You love to see it.
2: Um, I like what you said there, Angela, about. The, the defensive performance, because I think, um, albeit this time they didn't score early and then have to have to defend their lives the whole time, I think the natural instinct, I imagine, especially for, I mean, Knicks fans and media watchers over there would have been, can they hold this lead? And I'm sure it would have been entering the players' minds and they would have been thinking about it. Um, I'm sure Gemma Lewis would have been thinking about it, like we've been in these positions before where we've been in a winning position and we've dropped points, be it, two points or you know the whole bundle and it's, it's a sign of maturity they they ran out games better than they have um I imagine the conditions were better than some of the ones they've previously experienced as well and Marissa one point you made that I I loved was about um after taking a mental health break you've I think you said this on Twitter Grace um coming back and having a real impact and It's the sort of thing that's come to the fore a bit when people have talked about Ash Barty in the wake of her Australian Open win, that she's very much proof that you can, albeit Ash's was a very long break away from tennis, you can take a break away from something that you're really good at to focus on your mental health and come back stronger. And actually it usually does make you come back stronger because you're putting yourself first. And um, obviously Wellington was so supportive of her and going through this and she's come back in and, played a really important role in in this breakthrough win and it just is one of those little things that shows that they're building something really good with these players at Wellington kind of against the odds but given they weren't able to to recruit some senior players and you know saw some go to other teams and they've got restrictions that we've talked about in terms of their Kiwis and who knows if what they're gonna have to do with their goalkeeper situation but like there's all these little things that are difficult but when you see um, those little bits of culture that you're building, and we've we've talked about culture in this pod before, where you do things like you look after your players, you put them first, um, and you you see what happens where Kate Taylor, who'd been excellent, had to come off, and you back someone else in to, to fill the role. And Mackenzie Barry, as a player, had been very promising but had made a couple of errors and puts in a good... You know, you, you see these things. These players are building and building throughout the season. They're learning. They're kind of learning on the job. And it is sad that we're not going to really see it come to fruition kind of at the end of the year they're not going to be able to play in New Zealand it's obviously such a short season but the development from this team throughout is is so exciting and that's where it was so good to see it culminate in that but not only with a win but with a clean sheet because Lily Alfeld has been the difference between them copying losses and copying thumpings in some of their early games especially and she's deservedly got a a national team call up and for her and for that defense that has really had some difficult times uh, you know, you think of players getting bodied by the likes of Hannah Wilkinson and having to deal with those sorts of things. They just come on in leaps and bounds. And I think that's that's what's so exciting. It's that reward for effort and for sticking to what they're doing and not, not reverting to some sort of boring, you know, nuggety, boring style of football to try and keep scorelines down or to try and snatch jammy wins. They're playing the football that they want these players to play. They're backing them in. And I think Chloe Knott, who you mentioned, Andrew, is a really good example of someone who's been back to play with a bit of flair and to try and create and do some cool stuff on the ball, and it pays off. And Sam, I know you're, you're a big fan of seeing them do their thing, but it, it has just been so rewarding, and it feels like it was just so deserved, this breakthrough.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I, like, I love everything about this club. I am not ashamed to say that they've become like my second favourite team under Sydney FC because – everything that they are doing, everything that they stand for, every, all these foundations that they're laying are just the kind of things that I want every expansion club to do, every expansion club to be. It's so sustainable. It's so, It has something special to it that I can't quite put my finger on yet, but I think it revolves around this idea of culture because when I spoke to Gemma Lewis and to David Dome and to a couple of players before the season for a piece that I'm wanting, wanting to write in the next few weeks, They talked about culture, they talked about identity, they talked about all this stuff that goes on beneath the surface of the football but that ultimately is reflected in the football and I think this game against Canberra really epitomised that and it's probably really fitting actually that this moment happened against Canberra because Canberra are sort of on the inverse trajectory of what Wellington are currently doing. Wellington are getting better and better and better week by week and they have... Clearly, a very supportive, very collaborative, very democratic, and very sort of vibrant culture behind the scenes. Whereas, when it comes to Canberra and their performances over the course of this season, that it's not even that they're stagnating. It also that sometimes feels like they're getting worse. And you you get the feeling from the way that they play that things are maybe not all good behind the curtain. Um, it just doesn't. It it, it feels like not Canberra that not the Canberra that we know. you know what I mean and and so I think this was this is a really important game because that juxtaposition between those two sides really illustrated that this was the thing that is the difference for the two of them at the moment. We've talked about Canberra's issues over the course of this season already, but I think that it's getting to the point now where something really does need to happen, something needs to be addressed. Um, but as I wrote in my analysis piece about the chaos weekend, there's only three rounds to go until the end of the season. Canberra are not going to make finals and so they're going to have to address a lot of these deeper issues when everyone has left, when all these players have gone elsewhere. Who knows what Vicky Linton's position is in terms of her future as a head coach, but they're going to have to solve all of these problems without all of the people who are actually playing a major part in what the problems are so that's you know that that's really frustrating and that's something that I think has really hampered the league more generally over the course of its history is the fact that because you only have these tiny windows in which to get everything done and then all of a sudden this long dark shadow of an off season where you need to try and rebuild restructure find a new culture you have to do all this sort of stuff with almost no support no visibility no access to players like it's really really hard and I feel awful for Canberra fans because it's starting to get to the point now, I think, where even the most loyal and the most loving of fans are like, what is happening? And Angela, I'd be curious to know actually from from the depths of your heart, like how you're actually feeling about Canberra now because I feel like this has been a season that's been coming for them for a while and now it's really starting to uh, to sort of reach ahead.
1: Oh, from the depths of my heart. That's d- a bad place to go. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I'm i not too across on, in what's happening behind the scenes with Canberra, but I think I ha- you'd have to think that there's something going, going on there, right? Because even from the start of the season, you could see the gaps in the squad. Um, you could see sort of... I- <laughs> And I do think like Vicky Linton, she has a record of I think that players really get around her and she has that great record of being able to build up younger players and to um, we sort of saw that last season, I guess. But they've sort of yeah, there's a lot of different, I guess, cogs at work on the field, which I think things haven't really been working, but at the same time, a lot of the time I've questioned her coaching decisions as well because I guess she can only work with what she's got, but then at the same time, I feel like what she's it's just been a little bit too chaotic in terms of team selection and um yeah, I just yeah I'm not sure what's I'm not sure what's going on at Canberra, but I will say I think that cam Canberra United is possibly one of the best. Um, positioned clubs in terms of their fan base to come back from this in a way because I think the players know they will always there will always be like rusted on Canberra United fans who will turn up for games regardless if they're losing or not and will still make plenty of noise and I think that's really a, a lovely thing and that's always something that's been you know harped on about about Canberra their supporter culture but I don't think that's going to dissolve necessarily just because of this season and I guess we have to remember as well that Canberra seemed dark days before Um, a couple of seasons back there was yeah there was a a similar sort of moment I guess I'm just surprised that we're having this moment again after what was I thought was going to be a much better season, like a season that was going to build on what they achieved last year. Um, And I know how you mentioned in the chat that something that happens with Canberra, and maybe you can speak to this, is like they will have these great players come in and then they just sort of go elsewhere. And that's something that's been playing on my mind. I'm like, why would Jessica Nash, for example, go to Sydney and sit on the bench for Sydney um, instead of playing like another, you know, very comprehensive season at Canberra. Presumably, she would have been getting heaps of minutes if she'd stayed, because they don't have a, like a, a central defender or central defenders to work with there, really. Anyway, so that's I'm sort of like what's what sort of resources are other clubs are able to offer? What kind of stability? And I guess as well, if you have administration, plays a big part in player experience as well. So I don't know. I'd have to ask Jessica now. she be like, "Why'd you leave?" But there's a lot happening. Anyway, from the depths of my heart, I'm depressed about it, but I'm sure I'm just look forward. And it will be really interesting to see what happens. That's going to be the sort of next thing, right? Harrow?
2: It, it makes last season very much appear a false dawn, right? The anomaly rather than it, it wasn't a drop down and bounce back up. It was a false dawn, a spike. Back to the, it. It's very much feels like it's reverted back to the mean and worse. And yeah, it, we we mentioned one. I'll touch on a couple of things. One, you mentioned the obviously fantastic fan um, fan base and culture that you you've seen with Canberra fans for a very long time. And one thing you hope that comes out of that is as much as they cheer the team now, that they demand better because they deserve better. Um, their team deserves better. Um. If that's that's one thing, and I think it can help. On a obviously a, a bigger scale, we, we saw that happen with your, your Melbourne Victory men, who were basically a rabble for two years, and, <laughs> and the fans walk away, the fans crack it, and you know football's is nothing without fans. So you, hopefully there is people as well as the fans demanding some accountability and demanding better. But that's that's one thing that comes to mind. Um, it's just. It's not a perfect squad and it's lost obviously and they've lost players, but there should still be enough top end talent in that Canberra team to not be winless at this point in the season. I think that's where the questions around coaching and some of the decisions come into it. They've scored three goals in three games this season. (laughs) All three are three all draws. Like we were talking before about how impressive it was that Wellington kept them out. At the same time, it's a bit of an indictment on Canberra that they weren't able to find a way to break through, right? So it's against a team that had been susceptible to copying comeback draws and, and losses. Um, so that's this point. I, I also wonder if there's an element of getting figured out a bit. Like last season, their run to the finals, one came off the back of Michelle Heyman being an absolute sensation early in the season and them just springing a bunch of results that people didn't expect. I think people know now to clamp down and, on Heyman and they obviously don't have Nikki Flannery. Ash Sykes has had some moments. But that, that you know, route one to Heyman, worked out you, you've spoken in other pods before Angela about frustration about things like seeing Grace Ma get pushed back and players not necessarily yeah it, it feels like the opposite to what we were just talking about with Wellington where you're seeing these players put in positions to one day thrive to settle into roles and to build a really good proactive style of football that people want to watch and I think that's that's a big battle as well there there's not just the results side you want to be a team that people want to go and watch especially as a as a standalone club. I as as you mentioned, I don't know all the intricacies of what's going on behind the scenes. Obviously, they don't have the, the heavy backing of a a big A-leg men's club behind them to help. But unfortunately, they do have to find a way to compete because otherwise you will, unfortunately, despite their great and rich and proud history, get people questioning their viability in the competition long-term. And we don't want that. They are, as I said, such a proud, long-standing member of this competition that have had great accomplishments, great players. They've brought through young talent. They've um, nurtured the careers of so many. They looked after their players when that wasn't necessarily a trend across the league. It has such a proud history, but you can't rest on that. Like they're going to have to find a way to to move forward from this. And uh, Sam, you mentioned just sort of you have to sort of do that introspective look. Post, it's going to have to be post season um and and find a way to to turn things around again and yeah it, it might be like can you bring through more young players because as much as the Knicks have struggled results-wise this season people have loved seeing some young talent get brought through it's giving opportunities to look at the men's league we've seen a, a couple of players go to the central coast and Newcastle and um or bounce around at different clubs or Adelaide a uh, uh, Josh Cavallo for example who never really settled at any of the Melbourne clubs went and Became a regular Adelaide. You you do see a bit of this. So you wonder if Canberra does have to look to maybe pivot that way and see if they can be the ones bringing through young talent. Of course, this can enter into really big discussions about transfers and yada yada yada. But either way, I think the the main vibe is you got to change something because Canberra used to be a team that you enjoyed watching and looked forward to watching, and they've just fallen off off the radar. And it's it's really damning that. Uh, you know we're recording ahead of they're going to play western sydney um and it's a game that's very much two teams playing for pride you're not playing for finals you're not really playing for anything it's not box office unfortunately it's um yeah it's it's a shame and you know it's it that part of that is the factor as sam mentioned of a shorter season you don't get the chance to to do a midseason change up or have the mid-season heart to hearts or do a bit of a recruiting drive and maybe they don't necessarily have the resources to do that as well but with a longer season, you go, Or well, maybe we can turn things around because they weren't too far off the pace, um, you know, even a couple of games back, results-wise at least. It's, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I'm glad I'm not the one having to to try and figure out a way to write it.
1: Also, I'm not, Um, I don't know how this fits in, but it always shocks me a little bit, I guess, I'm, Anyone who's listening, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, but Canberra United don't have any um, representation on the Australian Professional League's leadership team and and board, right? And so I'm sort of wondering what kind of support then, what kind of conversations are happening there, what kind of support are they able to get there so they're able to stay in line with the the big plan for these leagues to be becoming more competitive competitive and more professional and, um, a better product overall. Like how I'm very curious about what's happening. Yeah. The flow of communication potentially there. that's obviously there's so much like a great deal of the accountability lies here with Canberra almost all of it. But, um, I think that's, it's just something worth
3: noting as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just not to bang on too much about Canberra, but I think it is also worth noting that they are the only club at the moment who is still run by a federation capital football makes all of their administrative decisions and alongside Canberra, they also have to run things like the Kanga cup. They have to run things like the local grassroots competitions. So capital football as the umbrella organization has a lot of different responsibilities. And as a result of that, the money that they do have has to be spread much thinner across all of those different programs. Whereas when it comes to the rest of the leagues, they are their own private entities. They, can, they focus exclusively all of their money flows down into their football. So that's probably another reason why it seems a little bit like something is happening behind the scenes where they just don't have the resources, they don't have the staffing, they don't have the time to, to deal with all this sort of stuff because the nature of the structure of the organisation means that they just actually don't have enough people to do that. Um, so it may be worth starting to ask whether we need to find a buyer for Canberra United, whether Canberra needs to actually be sold and, and come out of the uh, the remit of Capital Football because Capital Football ought to be focusing on grassroots on the grassroots game, whereas Canberra is an elite club and deserves to have all of the funding that is being afforded to the rest of their competitors. So, yeah, but that's a I guess a conversation for other people in other rooms and not for us. Um, but I do think that it's a situation that's also in some ways being reflected perhaps up at Brisbane. As well, Brisbane have not really seemed to look like the club that they used to. Um, and I don't think it's a, a similar sort of backroom admin issue, but in terms of their football, like man, they game against Adelaide—that was maybe the worst game I've ever seen Brisbane play. And I don't know. Again, they finished second last season in the league. I was that just like a like a new man like a bounce? I don't know how to sort of understand Brisbane. They're just they're too chaotic for their own good. I guess it's
1: with. But the similarity there, though, me and Marissa were chatting about that before the pod in terms of, like, A, Canberra's ownership. If we pulled our savings, maybe could we buy Canberra? I don't know.
3: Canberra becoming actually, like, a a fan-owned club, I would be a million percent behind that. Let's just put that that out into the universe and see if it manifests.
1: Mm, Yep. I don't mind that. And public servants, most of the time they have money. Could your this. Angela, could your mum do the match reports for them? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure they'd love that. <laughs> um, what was I going to? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Canberra ownership, but also Brisbane have their interconnections with the Queensland Academy of Sport as well. So they've got a similar pipeline of talent happening compared to Canberra, where a lot of the players that are coming through at Canberra through their academy and their academy has the team, like sort of similar to what is happening in other states but you see the split for example in victoria we have fb emerging and then you have a program like melbourne victory academy and they're not as intertwined they're they're not intertwined but players can benefit from both of those programs and they are separated out so but um yeah brisbane they should be better than what they should be playing so like they can play well i don't know what Is going on there and I'm more annoyed at Brisbane than I am at Canberra to be honest I feel like they should have the depth and the talent to be winning games that they're losing or drawing
2: the main question to come out of anyone as we know the other day a lot of these games are sort of happening simultaneously or overlapping so I think if you were focusing on another game or when we're just checking the scores intermittently your first question would have been what the fuck is going on like Brisbane, like, thank you to my uh, colleague, a friend of the pod, Ed Jackson, for these stats. That loss to Adelaide, first of all, you ate to be Brisbane, copping a scoreline like that. The worst, um, the most goals they've ever conceded in one game and also their biggest losing margin. Like, this is a, we were speaking about proud clubs before and Canberra is one of them. Brisbane, what on earth? Like that's a total capitulation. Yeah, Adelaide, fantastic. Fiona works incredible, really exciting. I think pre-match you look at this game and you go, oh, looks like a bit of a banana skin one for Adelaide. We often talk about them Adelaideing it and not making the finals. Didn't have to worry about that one bit because Brisbane Roar just came to the party completely or didn't they just didn't rock up it slipped
3: like, over their own skin is what they yeah
2: did. exactly like you, you look at on paper and you go oh that that gory nori midfield should be able to do a bit cause some problems stand in the way you know you're not gonna have players like dylan Holmes or emily condon or whoever having it all their own way no <laughs> just nowhere to be seen and um you know like it's interesting seeing post-match after Wanderers copped that 5-0 from victory, their first thrashing. Catherine Canulli said that it's a maturity thing. Like, you should, you know, you cop, you go three or four down. You have to be smart enough to know that you have to lock it down defensively. You can't be pushing forward as much. You have to be more disciplined and smarter. What the hell was that from Brisbane then? like? <laughs> Adelaide sensation. I don't want to take anything away from them, but in a professional league where you've got some quality players in there, like players that have played at Matildas level or have played a lot of senior games, you should not be copying losses like that. Like it's it's embarrassing. Like, and they'd have all felt it. They'd all be hurting, and they'll be asking some serious questions. Like, yeah, they don't have they don't have Emily Gilnick and Claire Polkinghorn that they had last year. But that's the difference between being, as we saw in the finals race, right, and Tamiki Yellow, between being, you know, in the top two and sort of around, you know, just outside finals. They don't look anywhere near it, like, doing that. And this is a team that has pulled results out of the bag. Like, that, we saw them beat Melbourne victory in that game where uh, where Gory was obviously excellent, and we saw them nearly beat them in another one, and they were very gritty against Sydney with 10, if I remember correctly. And then to go from that to conceding eight, it's extraordinary, Sam.
3: Yes, I agree absolutely with everything that you've said. And it, this game seemed to me like the extreme example of all of the problems that Brisbane have had this season. It was their shaky defence, which they've sort of suffered from towards the back end of a lot of games, but this was, they just were like, well, no, let's just start this from the beginning. Um, So copping four in the first half was just extraordinary, but it was also a problem scoring goals. Shea Connors, you know, in her first season has scored the vast majority of Brisbane's goals so far and I cannot see where else goals are coming from. You know, like even a Katrina Go who can pull out a Worldie every now and then, they just don't seem to have anything there. So that when you do want to push forward, as Brisbane seem to want to do as part of their playing principles, you, you don't actually get anything from it that much, particularly when you're coming up against, you know, solid defenders who know that your best player is an American who's playing in her first season of this competition And she's quick and she's good at scoring goals. And so if you shut her down and force the ball to move elsewhere, probably not going to score. And look what happened. How interesting. But, yes, no, it's it's, and I think it's particularly damning for Brisbane, as Angela was sort of saying, because they like Canberra, but to probably a greater extreme than Canberra, have such a long and rich history of producing Matildas of producing quality players, of having this pipeline that has seemed to have worked in the past. And so you have to sort of wonder why is this not working now? Like is it is it the same sort of structural issues that we're perhaps seeing at Canberra or is it just, is it just a, a weird flash in the pan season? Because like they have the players who seem to, I almost feel like we had this discussion after the Matildas got knocked out of the Asian Cup. Like they have the players to be able to do better than what they're doing. And so, where does the responsibility fall, or, or is it is it so sort of multifaceted, and the problems are sort of everywhere that you can't actually just lay it on a single person? I don't know, um, but it's you know I think it's as you mentioned as well, Harry. Like last season, they did have that handful of really top quality players who were able to do sort of sort of same to Canberra, who were able to almost uh, mask over the problems that had always sort of been there, but they had an Emily Gilnick or Canberra had a Michelle Heyman who was able to, you know, rip goals left, right, and center. And then you had like someone like a Nikki Flannery who would score worldies in the 94th minute. And, you know, you'd have those sort of moments that would scrape results and the results would be the thing that we used to measure their success on as opposed to the performances that led to them. So yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe you know Wellington sort of coming to the table has f- sort of focused our minds in a bit of a different direction in that sense because like while they haven't been getting the results, they've been playing brilliantly. So it's sort of it's the opposite. It's the mirror image of what we've seen from these other bigger clubs who have sort of scraped results sometimes in the past, but maybe haven't actually had the performances to deserve where they've ended up. Uh, yeah. So I'm overall, I'm I'm. I'm disappointed with Brisbane. Um, they, I think mathematically they're out of finals contention now. Um, some of it also may be just the fact that, you know, these, these clubs, these players are having to play a lot of games in a really short space of time. They're all probably wrecked. This definitely affected Perth in their game as well. Um, but, yeah, it's... it's that's, I have no concluding sentence. That's just, it's just a big sigh. <laughs>
2: Here's a segue for you, Sam. Uh, speaking of, um, of Perth, I think people had maybe some higher expectations of result-wise what they could deliver against Melbourne City, that 4-0 win. And to their credit, they they sort of dominated the first 15, 20 minutes. They shot a couple of early ones straight at Melissa Barbieri and Caitlin Torpy chucked her body in front of one that didn't really know about. But after that, after that sort of settled, City really dominated. And the key to that, I thought, was um, – Their double act, which is obviously Holly McNamara, who, as we know, I rate so highly, and Rihanna Policino, who, Sam, I know you loved at Newcastle last year. They are so good. (laughs) Like, I think, and we haven't really talked about Policino. I think, okay, McNamara, I think her stocks are are rising every single week. I think she's just getting better and better. Rado Vidicic said a couple of weeks ago that when she came back from Matilda's camp, it was like she'd grown three or four centimetres because that's what getting caps and getting international experience does for young players. I think this really underlines why we should see more young players brought into camp because you see them kick on, you see them develop, you see them grow in some confidence and... Um, Courtney Vine um, said similar to my colleague Ed the other day about just once you know you're a Matilda it, it gives you something and she's just looked better and better and we've talked about her finishing maybe being a bit off the radar but she just drilled two lovely goals one a really nice chip and one a standard sort of drill finish where she had all the time in the world on the break to decide what to do with it and previously she's maybe misfired but this time put both goals away really well and just a fantastic player who I think is actually the key for City um, rather than Hannah Wilkinson, who they'll be without for a little bit. But the other one is Rihanna Policina. And um, she obviously was poached from Newcastle um, over the off season. They've done that really well. City, they've picked up players like McKenna and Leah Davidson's been there for a couple of years and they've really found a way to make them work. But she has just improved. And if you didn't see Wirtz and Wilkinson picking up goals at such a rapid rate, she'd be right in the mix for the, for the golden boot as well, she's playing more forward. She's not just playing as that sort of playmaker, creator. She's she's doing that, and she is creating, and she's putting balls in. But she's so dangerous around goals. She's um. There were, to be fair. There's been some pretty sloppy defending at times. Like the Perth defending for Policina's goal the other day was not great. Um, they sort of dropped off her. Um, but she just has the skill, the awareness, right place, right time. She knows how to just drift off the back of a of a central striker, which she's done really well with Wilkinson. Her goal, Wilkinson sort of headed it back to her and she's chested it down and half follied. But we saw a couple of weeks ago when she scored, she just waited for the ball to flick off an aerial duel and was in the right place again to to drill it. She just knows where the goal is and a lot of that close ball control is obviously coming from a, a football background, very much like a, a Tom Rogic, right? She doesn't, she doesn't glide like a Rogic, but she has that very tight um, ball control. And she just looks fantastic. And you have to start wondering when – I'm not saying she should be in the Matildas conversation, but when do they start looking at her more seriously? When do they start going, what can you get out of a player like this that's so good with the ball at feet, that's so good around goals – not saying that she's any sort of answer, but surely when you're next looking at a camp, a player with those sorts of unique attributes, like Courtney Vine, like Holly McNamara, you've got to go, let's have a look. She's 25. She's a mature body now. She's having a really good season. Like, I'm not saying this is the player that will solve the Matilda's midfield issues. I'm saying when you next have a camp in, and you bring these players in, obviously your McNamara's, your Vines, your Alex Chidiak has to be in there why wouldn't you have a look at Rihanna Polisina? And the way some of these players are, are kicking on at City this year is such a massive credit to Rado Videsic and Dario Videsic and their team because these players are, are doing so well. I mean, Letitia McKenna is only coming off the bench. She needs to sort of, I think, crack crack that starting midfield at some point, but she came on and had that lovely assist for, for McNamara as well. But the other thing with Polisina and McNamara, before I let you go, Sam, is... Had um, it pointed out to me, they're both, I think, Western Sydney products, which makes you go, Wanderers, what's going on here? How aren't you get attracting these players to you? How aren't these players kicking on up there? Like, and credit to City for for really getting the best out of them, and Newcastle for their work with Policena this year. But yeah, it's a pretty pretty imposing couple of players to have been able to to pick up. I imagine relatively cheaply um, for Melbourne City.
3: Yeah, I, I love Melbourne City this season. I love the football that they're playing. I love the players that they've found and are using in ways that they shine in. And they're, they're benefiting from it, right? Like they're they're going to make finals. They are mathematically in contention still to possibly take out the premiership as well. Like I, I sort of tweeted about this as well. When you watch that game against Perth Glory, you really saw the contrast in terms of, the the styles of play, Melbourne City keep the ball on the ground. They very, very rarely panic. They very rarely bomb it long. It's short, sharp passes to each other and they progress the ball up the field. And it's like it sounds so simple when you say that, but when you watch other teams, Wanderers are another good example of a team that doesn't do this. When you watch them against other teams, you see how that style of play manifests in them always seeming to have control of the game. Even when they don't have the ball, you sort of you sense that they are still the dominant team on the field. And that's the same with Sydney. I think Sydney play a very similar kind of style too, like in terms of their system, in terms of their passing and their progressive ball movement as well. Like they, they always seem to be in control. And that's what is so exciting because it allows these players to show their individual qualities. And that's why I love that Policena has found herself in this system because coming from a futsal background, coming from a background where you have to have short, sharp passes in order to do anything, she's shining. And I think another thing that it sort of speaks to as well in terms of Matilda's conversations is our number 10s, just number 10s in Australian women's football. Like who have we got? Emily van Egmond is sort of the utopian ideal, I suppose, of our our current number 10s. But who's coming behind her? Who do we actually have who's playing in a creative midfield position in the A-League women's who would be able to step up to that level? Like we've talked about the number six. We've talked about centre-backs. We've talked about goalkeepers. But the creative attacking midfielder is a really, really crucial one And particularly in competitions against Asian sides that we saw in India where we needed creative midfielders to unlock some of those deep-lying defences, people who have those really incredible skills, that technique on the ball, the ability to see passes that other players just perhaps don't see. Rihanna Policena seems to be one of those players emerging in that position. And if she's able to maintain Um, uh, sort of that that kind of midfield position going forward for the next couple of seasons. I think she definitely should be in consideration for something a little bit bigger than what she's got because she has those things, you know, she has the, the qualities that you want from a player like that. I think at the moment the only thing that she's possibly lacking is speed um, and overall probably just a bit of fitness, just to be able to really go back-to-back to, back mm. to play lots of high-intensity matches again and again and again um, without her body sort of falling apart. But this, these were things that she had displayed at Newcastle. They're things that she displayed when she played for Arpia Leichhardt here in the MPLW. Uh, these are things that that she has always played as a, a futsal-loving footballer. So, yeah, I think the, the more that teams really embrace those kinds of players and allow them to express themselves and what makes them good and effective, I think the better and more interesting and more exciting the league generally is going to be.
2: That's one thing Holly McNamara even said on Paramount Plus after the game, and she said it to me a while back, that Rado's system is allowing them to play with freedom and express themselves. And that's what you want, especially from young players or creative players. And I think this kind of flows into, we're going to touch on Karakuni Cross. And, I mean, I think looking at the way she performed on the weekend, one goal, hand in three others. Let's not see her as a six again, please. Like (laughs) she played on the wing and was fantastic. We know she can drift into that creative midfield role as well. She's an attacking player. And when we're talking about these players that we want to see, like, yeah, we I know defence wins championships, but when you've got players that have got creativity and ability and victory are very much putting her where, where they feel, like, you've got to make the most of these players and get the most out of their talents. And clearly for Kyra Cooney cross, when she's given the freedom to butt gust forward, Angela, um, that's, that's what she can bring. Like she's just got, she's got something there. She's got that acceleration. She's got that creativity. And I think there's less sort of um, long time decision-making that you have to make as a six in terms of putting the pass out. She's much better when she can just go play the ball, you know, make those very quick decisions and do it that way rather than having to almost, she feels more reactive when she plays deeper. It doesn't suit her. And I think playing her there has also allowed Alex Chidiak to really shine when she's been playing a bit more box to box and she has looked excellent at victory and I think has to be in the next round of squads to once again, as you say, Sam, we need more creative outlets. We can't just be like, well, if we shuffle everyone else into these pieces, then we can put Emily Van Egmond there and that will be it. (laughs) <laughs> like it's because that's just not it like that's not the answer like she is great at what she does but she is also into her late 20s now you need to have other players stepping up katrina gory is also around that mark you know that around that that magic age where you, you are going to start to slow down as a as a pro footballer so we we need to see players like a chidiak who is so good on the on the ball so good with the ball at feet you know taking on players and trying to ride challenges and it's looked better when she's even played a little bit deeper rather than as a 10 where she's always been sort of, I guess, penciled in as. But I just think we, we're starting to see the best come out of these players and it's no coincidence that you're seeing Chidiak and Cooney Cross as two creative attacking players work so well together when they're given some freedom. And obviously, victory have been helped. Brooke Hendricks might just be the, the piece of the puzzle they really need because they can settle in and Amy Jackson and Alana Murphy and have those two you know, doing their thing a bit further up. And much like City allowing players like Policina and McNamara to just play to their strengths, and we've seen it at Sydney FC as well where they're letting players play to their attacking strengths and their creativity, you reap the rewards. So it feels like uh, it was a real weekend for letting, you know, creativity and backing players into actually play and to show their flair and to show their creativity and strength. The teams that did that won out big time. And maybe that's a a little bit of a lesson for for everyone.
3: Speaking of teams that are really allowing their players to flourish and, and lean into their creativity, I mean, we talked about how terrible Brisbane were, but how fantastic were Adelaide. I think that was maybe that first half was probably the best half of football I've ever seen Adelaide play. I am so impressed with how far they've come in the last couple of seasons, and I think they have finally landed on a style, a system and a squad that they have always sort of been dreaming of. They've always sort of been working towards this this thing now that they have. And I'm just so pleased for the club because they're doing such great work behind the scenes in so many different ways and we'll touch upon it a little bit later in our uh, How Goods. But to see this front three combo of Fiona Wertz, Chelsea Dorber, and Emily Condon just absolutely singing from the same song sheet and, uh, and reaching new individual levels as well as a new collective level together because they have been given this licence to do what they're great at, it's like it's just such a joy to watch them play football now, you know. Like they don't seem burdened by the fact that they are Adelaide United. They don't seem scared of Adelaiding it up they seem more confident i think than they have ever before and that probably comes it starts internally it starts with knowing within yourself and within the team and within the club that you are capable of doing something great and this game against brisbane is it was the perfect encapsulation of all of the work and all the stuff that they've had to go through over the last few seasons to finally arrive at this thing that really feels like what they've always wanted to be. And so I'm just I'm so thrilled for all the players, I'm thrilled for Adrian Stenter, I'm thrilled for the the, the you know the the people behind the scenes at the club as well because they've had this program in place to really accelerate the development of young South Australian players for a number of seasons now and I think they've They've sort of followed the Sydney FC model where they've brought in younger players, they've mentored them, they've given them minutes here and there over the course of the seasons and they've started to, they gelled them really early and now they've got that consistency where season after season after season, they've got that same core of players who are coming back and they're maintaining that chemistry they're playing together a lot of them at NPL level when the W League season's over so they've found a way to sort of create this cycle where the players continue to build upon one another's strengths and this yeah this this game against Brisbane was just fabulous I'm I'm so happy for Adelaide and I'm so happy for Fiona Wirtz because I think you know we've spoken about her particularly in the first couple of games when Adelaide we a little bit rusty. She was really the shining light for them. She was the one who was really working so, so hard uh, as well as Paige Hayward, you know, who, who, didn't, you know, make, make a start against Brisbane, but she's equally been just as effective. Um, but Fiona Wirtz equaling the all time sort of goal scoring record for a single player in a game, five goals. And she probably could have had more as well, which is even more astonishing. Um, I'm, I'm just so pleased for her because she's given up a lot to be able to, to do this and, Uh, the players around her I think are really really uh, flourishing because of the professionalism that she brings the experience and just the the drive the energy the desire to be more to make to drag Adelaide into their first ever finals position in the history of the league I'm I'm just so excited for them.
2: How well times that signing of Dylan Holmes as well and I think A bit of credit's got to go to her, not just for her role within this team. We've talked about it before, that she provides that midfield stability that has shored up that back line because Matilda McNamara in particular was so shaky early in the season. But it's allowed players like Conlon to press on. When you've got more goals and attack coming from your midfield, someone like Wirtz maybe doesn't have to do as much running, which means she's less likely to spray her shots or hit them straight at the keeper when she actually gets them. She's not knackered, basically. So that's, yeah, it's all coming together. Really nicely, and it, and I think credit to Holmes as well because I imagine it would have been quite a difficult, maybe a humbling experience to go. This stint in Europe looked like a dream, and it's not worked out the way I planned. And I wasn't really playing, so I'm going to come home and play. Like, it's it's a difficult decision to make. I don't envy any player having to decide whether they want to f- try and fight their way out for a spot. And we've since seen Andrew and Hegerberg signed at um, BK Haken since, so it would have got even more difficult I think for a player like Dylan Holmes um, anyway she's come back and and done really well I I do think this does kind of flow on though Sam you mentioned Fiona Wirtz and this is a, probably an easy segue to the boot because in the wake of that five goal performance where she equaled the record set by Kate Gill in I think 2014 and equaled by Hannah Wilkinson early this season channel 10 actually did a follow-up story and it turns out that Fiona Wirtz who is a as you tweeted Sam is a qualified yeah she's a mathematician like university level brain genius sort of stuff I, I don't know how she does it but you know good for her but she's actually been working part-time at Macca's to supplement this and um, you you tweeted about it really well Sam it's it's probably actually an easy boot for us that <laughs> it's it's not a good news story that it's it, it, to me it felt like a story that could have happened 10 years ago or even five years ago when years ago when Kylie Ledbrook used to do this and she you know was working at Maccas actually a manager I think but Fiona Wurtz is doing part-time work to basically supplement her ability to play and Sam I like the way you put it and I saw her, I think it might have been friend of the pod and talk about it. it's like those aspirational stories you see in the American news where it's like this town all got together to pay this kid's medical bills or this you know these are the things that happen and it's like it's not a good it's not a good news story that a 26-year-old a professional, or in this case, clearly a semi-professional athlete, is is having to to take on a service level job in this COVID environment as well, to be able to play and do what she's doing on the field.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we may as well just like boot it now, right? Like the the interview that she gave on channel 10, I wrote about it today. It the way that it's framed, it folds into, as you mentioned, Harry, this wider sort of turn that we're seeing in women's sport where leagues and clubs are marketing the semi-professionalism of their players as though it's something aspirational, as though it's something to be celebrated, as though it's something that makes them, you know, special and makes them want to, makes us want to, to be like them. But what it does is it, it distracts from the fact that They have to do these things. They don't have a choice a lot of the circumstances. They have to do this because the sports in which they're participating don't give them the option to be full-time. They have to supplement their incomes elsewhere. And... It's it's really frustrating. One of the other examples that I wrote about in my article at ABC was a photo shoot ahead of the most recent AFLW season, where they had players wear their guernseys and their uniforms from their other jobs and then they spliced them in half together on the same person. It's it's just it it's like this is stuff that these women have had to deal with for such a long time. They have had to overcome so many more barriers than their male peers have. And now to have their own leagues and their main broadcast partners shaping their difficulties and using these smoke and mirrors type of deflections and framings to ignore the structural shortcomings that those same organizations are part of like reiterating is is really problematic and it also creates as I mentioned at the end of my piece it creates this additional stereotype that women in sport have to navigate which is that all of a sudden if you can't juggle these things if you can't be the kind of player who can you know be a standout in your team while also being a full-time nurse or whatever if you can't juggle, if you choose not to juggle, or if you choose to step away from sport altogether to focus on a job or a career, that somehow you're less worthy. Somehow you're less aspirational or or less admirable because of that. And that's just like, in addition to, all the shit that women athletes have to deal with all of the burdens that they have to carry all of a sudden they have to compete against each other in this silent, you know, situation where their moral characters are being judged against one another for all the burdens that they are, or are not capable of carrying. It's just, it's so awful. It's so malicious. It's insidious. And it's, it always comes at the expense of the players. It always comes uh, off the back of their work and it's, they're just in a constant no-win situation when it comes to this sort of stuff. Because like Fiona Wirtz in the Channel 10 pre-like interview, she couldn't just like have a deadpan face and say, actually, I hate this. You know, especially not when the company she works for part-time is also a sponsor of the league and McDonald's. You know, like th- this is the thing. This is these are the, the all these pressures that are that these women have to try and navigate it's uh, it is so over I'd, like thinking of writing about it is overwhelming and frustrating I can't imagine how it is to actually live it for them so Big old boot to to not just Channel 10 or McDonald's or the AFL, but big old boot to this whole fucking industry that forces these women into these circumstances and then praises them for being, you know, these amazing people who can somehow you know, survive. You know, they shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to be here surviving in the first place. You should be doing better.
2: And it also affects their, like, people talk about, you know, life after football. Like, I don't think that's Fiona Wirtz's plan for one thing, but, like... It also does affect their other career. Like they, a lot of players have to take leave. Look at Tash Rigby away with Perth Glory at the moment. And if you're taking leave, I'm not sure how that you know, like you, in terms of building time at your company, you got to change jobs. You may be missing out on superannuation. You're missing out on all different sort of things. Like, I mean, there's one answer, guys. Professionalism. It's professionalising the league. It's having a longer season. It's enabling these athletes to. To be the best they can be, and it's no secret that when you look at other sports, cricket's a really good example. You look at the next level players can go to. You look at the players in the Matilda setup who are enabled to be full time athletes, or or overseas players that actually get to just focus on being full time athletes for a while. They're better off, and it gets so conflated because you got people who go, "Oh, they want pay equality with the men." <laughs> you never hear the athletes ask for this. Usually, all they want is to be paid the living wage to be full time athletes. To to be looked after, to have what they need, and Marissa actually mentioned it on the on the Footy Tips pod about um, Adelaide Crows AFLW superstar Erin Phillips talking about the things you miss out on. I think it was on the ABC, like just by not having full professionalisation, and that's it, it. Just underlines a need for that. I mean, it ha- needed to happen years ago. Where we're less than a year and a half away from a, a women's World Cup here. They said this this needed to happen forever ago, but you know, now's better than never. So yeah, extend the season. Full professionalism. Let's get the best out of these athletes because everybody wins. Oh, I have another boot. Speaking of non-professionalism, it's um as we're recording, it's what, four days out from Wellington Phoenix's next game. And with Lily Alfeld called up to the football ferns, they still don't know if they're going to be allowed to sign a like a replacement keeper for this week, um, which means that they would have Brianna Edwards in goal and have to name an outfielder on the bench as their backup goalkeeper, which Gemma Lewis rightfully said would, you know, make the league look like effectively a joke. It would look unprofessional. And it doesn't seem like there's yet been an answer as to whether the the Knicks will be able to sign another goalkeeper, you know, from the state leagues or from elsewhere in in the league because of obviously restrictions around their foreign players versus their New Zealand players. And if they sign a Kiwi, they have to cut another one. Just all these rules that were put in that when the Knicks came into the league that I think were effectively trying to stop them to become a, a football Ferns team is actually <laughs> hurting them. Now the football Ferns team has been picked. So it's a, it's a difficult situation, but it, I feel like it could be made very easy if they just ticked it off and said, yep, sign a goalkeeper who is, Unless something goes really wrong, just going to be sitting on the bench. A lot better than the optics of having a outfielder sitting there in a kit that they probably need to put a name on the day before the game and in gloves that don't fit them. <laughs> like, easy fit, get it sorted. Otherwise, it's going to be a big boot.
0: Two really easy boots from us there. And just do better, everybody. But let's do some how goods instead and pump up the mood in here a little bit. Angela, give us a how good.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess my how good is a little bit quite on topic with a lot of the chat that we've had um, this week about Canberra, but my how good is just, well, it's probably just a compliment to myself really, but I really like it when I tell people about soccer and I talk about soccer so much that they eventually go to a soccer game, and that happened um, with a friend of mine in Canberra, Henry, who's moved back there. um, We used to go to like what's the, the footy, the go and see the Western Bulldogs, which was nice. And I messaged him. I was like, do you want to go to a game? He was like, actually, I'm not in Melbourne anymore, but now he's going to Canberra United games and it was great. He went with his um, fiance and they bought t-shirts. They went full enough. This was for that chaotic three-all draw against which one was it? Who knows? I think it was Perth. Was this the Perth game? Yeah. There was a Perth one. One of them, the most recent three-all draw. So how good to pestering people so much about football that they end up going. I really love seeing like getting people involved in football and and seeing the stuff that I love and and enjoying it themselves. So yeah, that's, that just made my week when he messaged me and about that. So yeah, how good. I don't think he listens to the pod. He's not at that level yet, but to be fair, my mum hasn't been listening to the pod, so I won't get in trouble
0: for anything I've said this week. (laughs) How good that too. Nuffs, how good? So, Sam, how good?
3: Yes, so we've talked about what clubs do badly, but clubs also sometimes do really good things. And in the example of the Afghanistan women's national team, both Western Sydney Wanderers and Melbourne Victory have really come to the fore and have lent their support, their facilities, their investment to these players who have escaped the Taliban and have settled here in Australia. It started off, uh, I spoke a couple of episodes ago, uh, up here in Sydney, where the, the players were flown up here secretly to take part in the Afghan Cup, which was held uh, at the Wanderers training facility out in Blacktown. And most recently it was with Melbourne Victory after the team flew home back to to Melbourne. The club um, organised their first training session as a national team. They gave them staff and coaches to work with. They gave them boots. They gave them shirts. And at the most recent game, there was a guard of honour that uh, the Melbourne Victory and Western City Wanderers, fittingly, uh, both did for the team uh, before their game over the past weekend. So it was just a really nice reminder that, even with all the problems that Australian football has, and all of the agendas, and all of the clashing opinions, when we can agree on something, when we when we realise that there is one thing that we all care about, one thing that's important, and we all pull pull in the same direction, like really important things can happen, and the lives of these players are going to change probably forever as a result of these past couple of months and the role that Australian football has played, not just these clubs but also organisations like Women On Side, Football Australia and the Afghan Football Association of Australia as well. So, you know, we're still capable of doing good things uh, when we want to and I think it's, yeah, this, this particular story is a really nice reminder that, you know, not all is lost. So how good?
0: I think that flows on really nicely to your how good, Harrow. We love a segue here at the File post this week.
2: Um, yeah, proof that clubs and football can really do good things is Adelaide United announcing yesterday that their um, doubleheader on February 26th, when the women will play Melbourne Victory and the men will play Central Coast, will be their inaugural Pride Games. Um, as Sam pointed out previously, that like we know the clubs like Canberra, United, and I think Sydney FC men previously have had little sort of Pride initiatives. Um this is the first sort of, I guess, closest we got to a round. Hopefully it does lead to to a pride round across the league. That's what I'd really like to see. But, yeah, obviously Adelaide United have been, as we all know, super supportive of Josh Cavallo, who is uh, currently the only active men's player playing in a top professional men's league who is, you know, publicly gay. And he came out in October. So four months after they've announced it, a pride round which is really exciting um they've made a point that they want everyone to feel safe and included and able to attend the football which is a pretty yeah pretty standard approach with these sorts of these sorts of games so yeah some nice quotes from Josh about how well supported he's felt since joining the club Carl Veert the coach of the men's team was on his zoom yesterday talking about how they want to feel like they're a club where when anyone comes to their games, they feel welcomed and they feel included and they feel safe. They want their games to be a safe space. And this is a good step in that in that direction. Um, a Friend of the Pog Chloe, who's an Adelaide fan, uh, did make a I thought an astute point that it, it would have been nice if we'd seen this happen before we saw a male player come out, because obviously in the A-League women slash W League, there's been many, many queer or LGBTIQ plus women in the W League slash A League women for years, great role models. And, you know, that's, that's always been a very good community, but real better late than never. And it's great. It's been great to see how Adelaide have really supported Josh. They, they backed him in to, to come out to, you know, make that decision to put himself in a vulnerable place and do what he felt was best for him. And they supported him all the way. And then when he copped some abuse, they really took a firm, firm stand in terms of condemning it and supporting him. And yeah, they they've, they're really leading the way in that sense in this league. And it's, it's just a, a really nice story. You know, <laughs> you need some good news stories. And um, they're going to wear both the A-League men's and women's teams will wear rainbow um, names and numbers on the back of their jerseys, obviously a show of solidarity and support, which is always nice. And there'll be merch on hand for anyone that wants to buy. And I imagine it'll actually turn into quite a nice event because Cooper Stadium is an absolute ripper of a stadium. Um, it, the double header should be good fun. That like that's going to be a belter of a game between the women first up, and then Adelaide Central Coast's two teams. And the men's looking to make finals, and it's all going to be wrapped up in a really nice day that should be welcoming, and people feel like they'll be able to able to come along and have a good time and feel safe and welcome. And hopefully, we see some people who maybe haven't been to the football before get to experience it in what is set to be obviously a really inclusive and and safe space. So yeah, kudos to Adelaide United, and as I said, hopefully. This is a this is more just the beginning, and we see league-wide pride rounds across the A League men and women going forward, and yeah, onto bigger and better things. So, yeah, Adelaide United doing the thing and making a,
0: a a pride long-awaited, I think, pride games. How good? Just so so good. Can't kind of celebrate Adelaide United enough for doing this, but. That's it from us. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple, and Google, wherever you get pods. Feel free to subscribe and leave a review wherever you do listen if you like what we're doing. We are at The Far Post Pod on all social media, so you can have a little chat to us over there. But until next time, see yous.